Turn with me to Luke chapter 18. Luke, sorry, Luke chapter 17 and verse 20. Luke chapter 17 and verse 20. Abraham had gone to the promised land, and his nephew Lot had gone with him, and they really didn't have enough land between the two of them to stay in the same place. And their herdsmen were quarreling, and so Lot went, and the Bible says he pitched his tent towards Sodom, and then eventually he ended up living in Sodom. Uh, and two angels came to visit the city of Sodom, and Lot brought them into his house, and you know the story and how uh, just the wickedness of that city. And the angel said, you've got to come out with us right now, because judgment's about to come. And so Lot uh, tries to persuade his, his, net, uh, his uh, son-in-laws and so forth. They, won't, uh, they don't listen to him. They laugh and, and uh, kind of brush it off. Uh, but, but Lot, his wife, and his, his two daughters end up going out of the city, following the angels, and leave the city of Sodom. And as soon as they leave, fire begins to come from heaven, fire and brimstone. And it, it, it begins to just totally destroy the, the city of Sodom and Gomorrah and the other cities of the plain there. And Abraham wakes up the next day, and he looks out over the valley where Lot lived, and he sees this smoke rising. It was unexpected. Uh, for Abraham, God had told him what he was going to do, but uh, it just kind of came into his life at, at an uncertain time. Now, they also had the city, and the people of the city were totally unaware that this was going to take place. It came suddenly for them. Uh, one day, they were carrying on as, as usual, and the next day, judgment had come. Uh, some scholars believe that the, the lowest part of the Dead Sea is the place where Sodom used to be, uh, now covered uh, in really salty water. Uh, God's judgment is something that has happened in the past, but that's not the greatest thing that's going to happen. In the future, Jesus will come back, and we need to be prepared for that. Uh, the Scripture speaks of judgment. I realize uh, many in our culture today want to deny that judgment exists. They say, well, I don't believe in hell, or I don't believe that God, a loving God would judge somebody. Uh, but the truth is that God has done everything He can to save us from His judgment by sending His Son. Uh, God doesn't send us, we send ourselves to rejecting Jesus Christ. So we need to be prepared for judgment. We need to help others be prepared. Um, and uh, the scripture here, uh, Luke is, is sharing uh, one of the, the sessions that Jesus gave uh, teaching about the end time and when he would return. Uh, he also speaks about the kingdom that is present. Uh, the kingdom of God is something not just in the future, but it's something here today. And so Jesus describes this, and he wants us to respond by preparing for his coming. That's the title of my message, Preparing for Jesus' Coming. How can we prepare? Uh, and so look at verse 20 with me, and we're going to read this scripture. Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God will come, he answered them, the kingdom of God is not coming with something observable. No one will say, look here or there, for you see the kingdom of God is among you. Then he told the disciples, the days are coming when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, but you won't see it. 
They will say to you, look there or look here. Don't follow or run after them. For as lightning flashes from the horizon to horizon and lights up the sky, so the Son of Man will be in his day. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. People were eating, drinking, marrying, and giving in marriage until the day Noah boarded the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. It will be the same as it was in the days of Lot. People were eating, drinking, buying, selling, planting, building. But on the day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be like that on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, a man on the housetop whose belongings are in his house must not come down to get them. Likewise, the man who is in the field must not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever tries to make his life secure will lose it, and whoever loses his life will preserve it. I tell you, on that night, two will be in one bed, one will be taken, and the other will be left. Two women will be grinding to grain together, one will be taken, and the other left. Two will be in a field. One will be taken and the other will be left. Where, Lord? They asked him. He said to them, where the corpse is, there will also the vultures be gathered. Preparing for Jesus' coming. How can we prepare for Jesus' coming? First of all, you need to choose the right kingdom. Choose the right kingdom. Um, the Pharisees asked Jesus, they said, look, uh, where's the sign of his coming? Where, you know, where, when does the kingdom of God come? And Jesus says, the kingdom of God's among you. You need to respond to it. You see, right there in the middle of them was Jesus Christ, the King of kings. And Jesus is saying, look, you don't need to be worried so much about that. You need to be worried about responding to the life that you have. You need to repent of your sin and put your trust in me. But they would have none of it. You see, in each human heart, we have um, a responsibility to respond to Jesus Christ. And, and he is the king, and we're the subjects. And we surrender our hearts and our lives to him uh, to become a part of the kingdom of God. We put our trust in Jesus, and God gives us the gift of salvation that Jesus purchased and paid for when he uh, died on the cross for our sin. Um, so uh, we choose the right kingdom. You know, some people follow what the crowd says. Whatever the crowd says, that's what they're going to do. Some people uh, follow what they want, right? That's, that's probably what most people do. Okay, this is what I want. This is what I'm going to do. This is what I'm going to choose. Uh, and, and they seek to rule their own life. You remember the song, I did it my way. Uh, that's that's the, the song of the person who says, I'm going to rule my own life. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. You heard of the, the son, that uh, teenage son, he was, he was tired of his father telling him what to do. And so he said, nobody's going to tell me what to do. And he joined the military. Uh, you know, that's, that's how many, we, we, nobody's going to tell us what to do. But ultimately, God says, I want you to bend the knee. Why? Because God wants to be a tyrant? No but because God loves us and he knows what's best for us. And, and when you surrender your life to him and he becomes your father, he becomes your Lord, um, then as he leads you and guides you, the Bible says you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. 
the Bible says here, if you, if you lose your life for my sake, you'll find it. In other words, you surrender that life, you lay that life down, you will find what life is all about. Jesus said the thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. That's the enemy. He wants to destroy our lives. But Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it abundantly. Choosing your kingdom. Many people believe that if they sell out to Jesus Christ, if they surrender their life and get really serious about the things of God and following Him, uh, regardless of what people may think, they think their life is going to be miserable. They think the picture of holiness is is a person in black with a sour look on their face. But the Bible says that true holiness is characterized by joy. It's characterized by peace, and and the presence of God is something that sets us free. But we have to choose that kingdom. God doesn't force us. He's He's a gentleman. He won't twist your arm, but he will touch your heart, and he'll draw you to himself. So you got to choose the right kingdom. Now, you say, well, well, Pastor, I'm already a Christian. I've surrendered to Christ and so forth. Well, the Bible says we're to take up our cross daily. And even though we're, we're in the kingdom, sometimes we don't act like it. We, we start doing things our own way again, don't we? I've done it. I'm sure you've done it as well. And so if you want to walk in the fullness of what God has for you, you've got to choose each day, Lord, I surrender to you. I like what Adrian Rogers says. He said whenever he got up in the morning, he would go in for his quiet time, and he would say, Private Adrian, reporting for duty. I like that. That's the, that's the attitude of a heart of a surrender. Uh, so you've got to choose your kingdom. Uh, Jesus said the kingdom of God is among you, or he's, it's in you. It's, you surrender your heart. Uh, and then secondly, you surrender your life. You surrender your life. Look at verse 32. Remember Lot's wife. Now, I didn't mention this when I told the story earlier, but as Lot's wife, and, and the, the Bible says that the angels told them, don't look back as the, as the fire began to fall. Don't look back. And Lot's wife turned around. And the Bible says in an instant she became a pillar of salt. I often thought, well, that, that would be so weird. Um, she, her heart was really back in Sodom. And, and if you read the book of Genesis, you see there's a progression. Lot's pitching his tent toward Sodom, and then he's dwelling in Sodom, and then he's in the gates of Sodom. That is, he's part of the leadership of Sodom. And he had gotten uh, involved in, in, the, in the world there uh, and in the leadership of that city, and their hearts became bound up in that city, and they were impacted by it, uh, but especially Lot's wife. And as she was leaving the city, she could that, that one last look of longing back. She became a pillar of salt. Um, G- Jesus said, remember Lot's wife. In other words, you need to be willing to surrender your life, to hold the things of your life loosely. It's so easy for us, especially in the culture that we're in, with all that we have, even even the uh, the poorest person in America usually will have some change. Or uh, you're you're richer than eighty five percent of the world if you have change in your pocket. Uh, we have so much, and it's so easy for us to 
to get focused on the things of this world and, and to get distracted by the things of this world and to have our longing and our hearts tied up in the things of this world rather than focused upon Christ. And so we need to hold the things of this life loosely and, and, and daily surrender our lives uh, to Him. Uh, Lot's wife, her heart was back in Sodom. How many people, how many of us in our hearts, we, yes, we may come to church, and yes, we may hear a message, and we may even have our, our quiet time during the week, but really our heart is elsewhere. And somewhere along the line, we've lost our first love, and we've, we've turned away from, from putting Jesus first in our life, and our, our heart and our, our focus is no longer primarily Christ, but it's on something else in our life. And suddenly, our life has become about something other than Jesus. It's so easy for that to take place. He says, he says if you lose your life for my sake, you'll find it. Um, I love that scripture. Given it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. We give. It's when you let go, not just of your money, but of your time, of of your gifts that God has given you, and you let God use you, and you let go of those things, and you give, guess what you end up getting? Uh, sometimes I'll have somebody tell me, well, boy, that, that message really convicted me, and they don't realize how much it convicted me during the week. I got the double dose. I'm sitting there thinking about it all week. Uh, then, or maybe God, God blessed me. He gave me some comfort through what you said, but they don't realize how the tears came down my cheeks in my study as I thought about what God had done for me. You see, there's a blessing when you give. It's amazing how uh, I used to think to be a pastor would be a curse. My dad was a pastor, okay? And somehow I had this mental picture in my life that if I became a pastor, it would be purgatory. You know what I'm saying? I know we're Baptists. We don't believe in purgatory. But that, but that was my thought in my mind that if, if I surrendered to God and I did this, it would be a negative thing. But what I found is the opposite is true. God has blessed me. Now, there's been difficulty. There's been heartache um, in serving the Lord. But there's also been so much blessing. Um, when we surrender, when you surrender your life, when you lose your life for Christ's sake, you find it. And what you, what you find is that I, I remember... I remember when I um, was was being convicted by the Holy Spirit to give my heart to Christ. I struggled because others thought, well, you know, he's he's a believer. I, that's what they thought. I'd been in church. I'd, been, I'd, I'd done things outwardly that, that made it seem as I was a believer. And so I thought, well, what will my friends think? And what will, what will uh, others think if I make this decision that I knew I needed to make? And and I had this, this mental picture of, of what would happen. And that's, I think it probably came from the devil. But when I finally surrendered my heart to Christ, it's like my life began. And, and it's, it's so amazing the change that Jesus brought to my life and to my heart. And so this is what Jesus is calling us to do. He, he says, you need to surrender your life. If you want to prepare for my coming, how do you prepare? Just lay your life down every day. Take up your cross and follow me. Um, and what you'll find is in a cross is a negative image, right? I mean, it would have been shocking to them. 
A cross was a picture of shame. Usually somebody was hung naked on a cross, and, they, and sometimes they would have a little loincloth on or something, but it was a, it was a shame. And, and, and people would, they would actually put it by the walkway so that people would ridicule the person being crucified. And, and it was such a, an offensive thing that, that people who were uh, the, the uh, upper class would not even mention it because it was considered so offensive to talk about crucifixion. So when Jesus said, take up your cross, it was something that was, that was radical and sounded horrible. And yet, what happened as they laid down their life, as they surrendered to Christ? Now, for them, sometimes it was literal. They would lay down their life. They would be put to death. Paul said, the time of my departure is at hand. I know God's showed me that, that I'm about to give my life for the, for the sake of the gospel. It was literal for him. But, but whether it's a, a figurative laying down your life in surrender or a, a literal, it, what, what you find is you can't outgive God. Hebrews 11 talks about the different ways that people trusted God. And, and then at the end of Hebrews 11, he begins to say that some were, were beaten, some were sawed in two, some were, were wandering around homeless in, in caves and holes in the ground, and they were going all through all this difficulty of whom the world was not worthy. And they were doing this because they were being persecuted for the cause of Christ. But God has prepared for them a better reward. You see, you can't outgive God. When you surrender to God, He blesses you. And um, uh, so, Jesus says, you want to prepare for my coming, lay down your life. And you know what the, the awesome thing is about serving Christ? Not only is there a difference in the relationship with God as we surrender our lives, but there's also um, a, a reward that we earn in heaven. And he says, he says you give a cup of water in my name, you'll, you'll not lose your reward. And so you surrender your life, and you end up having an abundant life here, and joy in your walk with God, but you also have a reward in heaven to look forward to. Peter says it's laid up right now, imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Surrender your life to him. I remember when I was uh, a little boy, I had some friends who loved roller coasters, and I was scared of them. Uh, we went to Opryland, and the Wabash Candy Bar, some of y'all are, y'all, I want to ask for testimony. But anyway, uh, I went by the Wabash Candy Bar, and it, it actually went upside down. That terrified me. And, and I, Roger, why don't, you, why don't you ride this with us? No. Oh, come on, you'll enjoy it. No. <laughs> and uh, they, were, they were on a mission to try to get me to, you know what? I finally surrendered. And I said, okay, I'll try it. And, you know, I'm like, you know, hearing the rattling, you know, you're walking through the light, and you're, yeah, let's go, boy. I rode the roller coaster. And I loved it. It was great. I said, let's go again. And, and then I was hooked on roller coasters ever since. Now I'm getting old and my back hurts when I ride them. But anyway, uh, that's like what it is to, to, to surrender to Christ. We, 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 we worry about it and we, we think about it and so forth. But when you do it, life begins. So you want to prepare for Jesus coming? 
Choose the right kingdom. Surrender your life. And finally, trust in Jesus. Trust in Jesus. Look at verse 34. I tell you on that night, two will be in one bed. One will be taken and the other will be left. Two women will be grinding together. One will be taken and the other left. What's, what's he talking about here? Well, Jesus has kind of compressed three things in this. He is, he's compressed the present kingdom of God that you surrender to here in this life. He's compressed the second coming. He talks about that in a couple places here. He, you mean, he says, he says it will, when the coming of the Son of Man comes, it will be like lightning, lightning up the sky. Have you ever been in one of those thunderstorms? And, and lightning may be over here, but the whole sky lights up. Jesus says it's going to be like that. When, this, when Jesus comes at the end of that seven-year period of tribulation, and he comes back to rule and to reign, the Bible says he will come down on the clouds of glory, and his splendor of his countenance will be amazing. By his brightness, his enemies will be slain. He will speak, and his enemies will be destroyed. Uh, it, it's going to be something that you can't miss. That's the second coming. So he has that in there, but he also has the rapture in there, which comes at the beginning of the seven-year period. The Bible calls it the day of the Lord, not a literal 24-hour period, but a season of time that God brings judgment upon the earth for sin. And at the beginning of that period, uh, 1 Thessalonians uh, tells us that Christ will rapture his church. The dead in Christ will rise, and those who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them. That's The word rapture means caught up. And so uh, they'll be there in heaven with Christ during that seven-year period of judgment on the earth. And at the end of that period of judgment, the climactic thing will be when Jesus comes back. But the one will be taken, the other will be left. The one will be taken, the other will be left. What is that talking about? It's talking about the rapture. Now, I don't want to be around for the seven years of judgment that the Bible says is going to, are going to be the worst years in the history of mankind. The judgment that's going to come. So Jesus is saying, I want you to trust me. I want you to trust me so that you'll be one of the ones that are taken and escape that judgment. The Bible says that Jesus died on the cross to pay for our sin. Uh, he paid our sin debt in full. Every sin, past, present, future. Uh, Jesus paid the price, and he said, it is finished. The debt has been paid in full. Uh, and then three days later, he rose from the dead. And the Bible says, because of what he's done, uh, Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection make it possible for us to have a home in heaven, a relationship with God, to be forgiven for sin. And Jesus says, I want you to respond to this truth by putting your trust in me. And that involves turning from your sin in your own way, that choice to turn. It also involves receiving the gift of eternal life. And, and when you receive that gift, you have God's eternal life within your heart. And then you're one of the ones he takes rather than one of the ones he leaves. Um, <clears throat> so he goes and he skips quickly from the, uh, the, the rapture in verse 37, they say, well, where is this going to happen? He says to them, where the corpse is, there also will the vultures be gathered. So in, in one uh, verse, he goes to the end of the seven-year period. 
So basically, he's speaking about the day of the Lord in general, and he's saying, listen, I want you to prepare for it. There's going to be some that are going to be taken, some that are going to be left. And then when you, if you make it to the end of the tribulation and you still haven't trusted in me, it's going to be really bad. Revelation describes the end of the tribulation that God calls the, uh, the vultures and so forth to this one place because there's going to be so many dead people at the battle of Armageddon that they're, these, these birds are going to have to feed on the flesh. I know that's kind of gross, but, but that's, that's the idea. That's what he's talking about. Um, God doesn't want anybody to experience that. God has done everything he can to prevent us from having to go through such a, such a horrible ordeal. Um, that's why Jesus came. If there's any other way for God to have saved mankind, then God would have done it. Jesus said, if there's any way this cup, this cup of your wrath can, can be taken from me, then, then, then let it be, but nevertheless not what I will, but what you will. Uh, there was no other way. If the Son of God could pray and ask God, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me, and God said, no, you must go. Jesus said, nevertheless, your will be done. And in one place, he tells the disciples, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down freely. Jesus laid his life down. God gave the best that heaven had to deliver us from God's judgment. And when you put your trust in him, you go from being God's enemy to being God's child. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's the hope that God has given us. Put your trust in him. You want to be prepared for Jesus' coming. Choose the right kingdom. Surrender your life. And trust in Jesus. He will make a difference in your life and prepare you for what's to come. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word and for the direction that you give us and the perspective that you give us. Um, and Lord, help us to, to be prepared personally uh, for your coming, for Jesus' coming. Um, Lord, if there's somebody here tonight that has not... Uh, chosen to turn from their sin and put their trust in Jesus.